This is What's Ahead, and I'm Steve Forbes. My special guest today is one of my five daughters, Moira Forbes. Those you'll hear, she doesn't act quite like a guest. What did you want to be when you grew up? Father to five perfect daughters. Well, you're so close, so close. (laughs) That's right. To celebrate the one-year anniversary of What's Ahead, my daughter Moira is giving me the very special gift of taking over my show. All those are sisters, Sabina, Roberta, Catherine, and Elizabeth would tell you they're quite capable of doing the same thing. In this time of social isolation, may we all be so lucky as to have meaningful conversations with the people we love even if it means giving up our spot in the host chair. In case you didn't know, Maura also happens to be the executive vice president of Forbes Media, the publisher of Forbes Women, and one of the five daughters of whom I'm very proud. Maura's takeover interview in a moment, but now, what's ahead? Of course, all the focus is on the COVID-19 crisis, and we get those daily briefings, and I have nothing to add to that except to say, watch out for what happens with the hydroxychloroquine combined with the z pack That is a proffered not cure for the disease, but a good treatment. Most of the medical establishment is very, very skeptical, but one exception is Dr. Oz. We had Dr. Oz on this podcast several weeks ago in a two-part series. He sees the virtue of it, and I think it's going to save the day for millions of people from unnecessary suffering. Going over to the political front, yes, there's still a presidential election out there. If Joe Biden falters, somebody will have to step in. Andrew Cuomo, governor of New York, has impressed a lot of people with the way he's handled the COVID-19 crisis. So even though politics has been shoved into the background outside of Capitol Hill, a lot of things are going on behind the scenes. Stay tuned. On the Senate side, they finally passed that bill. Just bail out American industry. It's not a bailout. It's a rescue package. But we're going to spend days and days ahead finding out the details of it. But at least the job got done and the American economy won't completely shut down. Things are happening around the world. The U.S. is beginning a final withdrawal from Afghanistan. I think it's premature. Watch out what happens there. The bad guys there are not going to go into hiding. They're going to be plotting again. Other things around the world, China is still continuing its aggressive diplomacy. And on the economic front, Europe is going into a severe contraction. Will they make the structural changes to prevent a very, very serious recession? So the virus is still there. There'll be plenty of debate on whether we should be still in lockdown or how we move out of it, how we do it in various sections of the country. But eventually this crisis will pass, and the big world out there, the good and the bad, will still be with us. My special guest today is Moira Forbes. What? You're taking over the show? I have to answer questions? What is this? You're supposed to be the child. I'm the father. 
I've stormed the castle. Uh, well, as as my father said, uh, I am Moira Forbes, um, referred to in our family as daughter number four, one of five daughters. And today, I'm so excited to put my father in the hot seat and turn the tables. This is actually the first time uh, that I've sat down and interviewed my father, at least in this format. I feel like I did that as a kid to you. Uh, and just because you can't see my father right now, I know he is has been up at, up at night, worried, anxious. He's in the hot seat. He knows I'm going to ask the tough question. So are you ready, Dad? Yes, you finally get revenge after 40 years. Okay, <laughs> go ahead. It's payback time. Um, <clears throat> well, this is really fun for me because this was uh, a really interesting time to take a step back because obviously I have known you all my life. Um, but I really wanted time to talk about your backstory and some of the more formative experiences um, in your life. Obviously, I've seen them from a different vantage point um, and sort of hear your perspectives on how you've navigated your career, your success, but also the ups and downs, many downs probably I created as well um, at times. And, uh, and this is just really fun for me. So thank you. Well, good to be here, I hope. And uh, remember, I'm still here in this world. Wills can change. <laughs> okay. Well, duly noted. Um, I want to rewind the clock to, to childhood. I'd be so curious. What did you What did you want to be when you grew up? A father to five perfect daughters. Well, you're, you're so close, so close. <laughs> Almost perfect. Uh, when you're a youngster, obviously, uh, every uh, occupation interests you, whether it's a boat captain, firefighter, police officer, airlines baseball player, rock star, all of the above. I saw more more virtue in Elvis Presley than my parents did. <laughs> you, though, uh, nurtured a, a love of history, a love of politics at a very, very young age. Talk about some of the more formative influences that really shaped these passions that you know I see day in, day out in your life today. Well, as you know, your grandfather, my father, uh, was in politics. As a young man, he wanted to become president of the United States. Uh, eventually got elected to the state legislature. And around 1955, when I was seven, eight years old, he was in a tight race for re-election. So as a kid, you get involved in these things. You uh, go to rallies, you go to picnics, very fun, get to eat hamburgers and hot dogs, don't have to make speeches, and followed the race closely. And on election night, my father said, even though you're supposed to be in bed at 8 o'clock or whatever— he took me to uh, the Republican headquarters where the returns were going to be coming in. So we won, and uh, that whetted my appetite. Wanted to learn more about it. And uh, he had in his library uh, what they call legislative manuals. Each year, the legislature comes out with a book of, of things about the New Jersey election returns, everything. So I'd start going through them, and uh, that uh, kindled my interest in uh, politics. And as a kid— uh, you know, kids have animals, teddy bears and whatever, tigers and lions, whatever. And uh, one of the things I did with my siblings, because I was the oldest one and therefore I could uh, make things happen with them, whether they liked it or not, was to hold elections between the various animals and to see who could collect the most animals to win the election. So uh, that started that. And then in, uh, two years later, uh, my father, your grandfather, ran for governor he got the Republican nomination, but as he put it, he was nosed out by a landslide in the uh, general election, which was shattering for me. I thought he was going to win. What was it like for you to see him lose? 
Uh, well, it wasn't expected. Even though I'd read the newspapers, uh, it, I just uh, didn't think it would happen. You don't think it would happen. But uh, studied, uh, whetted my appetite to learn more about elections. And uh, that's why he put in his will, my father, that uh, I would inherit those uh, manuals, which go back, annual manuals, back to the 1870s. I don't know anyone else who would read those things, but I happen to like them. Before we sort of talk uh, more about sort of your career trajectory, I just want to ask you, what was the greatest insight or lesson that you learned from both your father and your mother? Uh, from uh, my father— I realized at a fairly young age he was not like other fathers. How? Uh, uh, in the way he saw the world was very unique. Uh, the way he would do unconventional things, even before he really went uh, unconventional, riding motorcycles and the like, you could tell he was always itching to try something, always talking about uh, taking a boat across the Pacific. This was a person, as long as he wasn't disciplining you, uh, worth listening to. And uh, as a youngster, he was a very tough disciplinarian. Uh, you knew what the wrath of God meant when he, uh, he, he felt you'd done something wrong. What was amazing as we got older is he knew how to let loose and, in effect, uh, let you make mistakes. When uh, I was around 14 or 15, the uh, Surgeon General came out with the first blockbuster report about tobacco and lung cancer. And uh, my father, at the time, was smoking routinely three or four packs of cigarettes a day. When that report came out, cold turkey, he stopped smoking, just did it. And uh, then he sat me down and said, I'm not going to do what some parents do and say, I'll pay you a certain amount of money if you don't smoke until you're 21 or something like that. You shouldn't do it because of your health. It's your decision. I can't stop you, but I urge you not to do it. Well, for a teenager being man-to-man -man talk, I left an impression, so I never uh, took up cigarette smoking. So on, on, on my mother's side, uh, talk about opposites. She was the exact opposite. My father was always out in the public eye. She hated it. She hated politics. There was a, more than one picture of her when my father was speaking on the platform, her falling asleep. And, uh, and uh, she uh, put up with it, but she... Uh, really uh, hammered home another side of life, the seemingly small things and how they make a difference. Well, there's sewing labels on clothing in those days. Uh, taking care of you when you were sick, uh, the jello and the changing the sheets and all that sort of thing. And uh, you could see both worlds. And eventually they split, but thankfully it was after 40 years, 39 years, so we were well out of the house. But... Uh, you saw two different uh, personalities, and each had their own virtues. And uh, you come to appreciate there's more than one way to uh, live in the world and have a meaning in the world. And uh, one of the things I think uh, certainly meant something to me was when uh, my mother got sick, she had lung cancer, was uh, we could feed her the way she fed us when we were sick. Being able to, to do that. Oh. Very lucky. Mm -hmm. Now you get to feed my kids. <laughs> yeah. Stuff they shouldn't have. I was never taught nutrition, so uh, I had an affinity for Oreos and Fig Newtons and Coca-Cola. 
And our youngest, my youngest son, literally is cut from the same cloth. He, uh, I realized it was genetic when he got his first Oreo and just opened it and ate the cream out. Um, I want to sort of shift gears and 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 talk about your career trajectory because I want to ask you: Was it always assumed that you were going to work for Grandpa? No. Uh, first, he didn't take over the company till his uh, older brother unexpectedly died from uh, cancer when he was only forty-eight. And uh, it was only when I was uh, 16 or so that he sat me down and said, uh, think about coming to the company. And he gave me a copy of uh, his proposed will, which to me was just, you know, hieroglyphics. And I remember reading a biography of Al Smith, who was a reforming governor in the 1920s, ran for president against Herbert Hoover, got crushed. But one of the things about Smith was he grew up in uh, very poor circumstances, and when he got to the legislature and he got these bills that he couldn't understand at all, what are they talking about? He realized, okay, I can just go along and follow orders, or I can uh, learn and try to make something of myself, and he did. That made an impression. And uh, those are the kinds of things when you read about it, about real people, uh, you take to heart that you're not... You're not breaking any new paths here. The particulars may be different, but uh, others have done it, and if they could do it, you could do it. And uh, then, too, I had an affinity in uh, boarding school. I uh, helped edit the school newspaper and learned the power of communications. Uh, I enjoyed debating. Uh, I was headed up the debate team. And uh, my best friend at the time, uh, your Uncle Spencer, uh, was head of the paper. I was an associate editor. But uh, he allowed me to write the stories about the debates. And so you would think that this was uh, the Greek Athens, you know, a constitutional convention reincarnated. The way we described how he smashed the opposition in brilliant orations and uh, learned the glory of the thesaurus, finding uh, war- <laughs> fancy words for things. And it got to be such that uh, one time at a debate, the headmaster and his wife, who was reading these accounts, and since we didn't have bylines, they didn't know I was writing about myself. (laughs) And uh, I think he was wondering, (laughs) what what is this? (laughs) But but, uh, learn that the word can uh, shape things, how people see the world. You started your career at Forbes, obviously working for your father. How did you find the space to build your own voice and to be able to find room to make mistakes and to grow in a way that also was cognizant of the unique position that you were in? Well, fortunately, my father had worked for his father. So he knew uh, uh, what the pitfalls would be. So one of the things he did was uh, make it clear after I had stints in various departments uh, worked for our editor, uh, the legendary Jim Michaels, who feared no one and was very blunt about uh, what he thought your performance was. And uh, Pop just uh, said, he, he's your boss, don't come to me. And uh, you learned uh, from uh, from a School of Hard Knocks with Jim Michaels. And you also learned, though, that uh, nobody knows everything. I remember we did a trip to Australia 40 years ago, we visited the prime minister and other people, 
And on the plane ride on the way back, Michaels was doing the story, and then he handed it to me and said, uh, tell me what you think and edit it. I said, me, edit you? He said, everyone can use an editor. Very good lesson. I want to talk about sort of when you were thrust into a leadership role very quickly, and that was when your dad, you know, grandpa passed away. It was 30 years ago this year. I was nine at the time. And within, you know, a matter of hours, your world changed personally, but also in the sense that now the company was on your shoulders. You were really thrust into this position um, very quickly. What was that like for you? Well, it was a challenge in the sense that uh, people are going to wonder, can this uh, ship continue to uh, sail? And uh, I felt that we had a strong enough team inside on the sales side and on the editorial side. I knew these people, and so therefore I didn't feel that uh, you know, there was a big crisis brewing. And in terms of uh, the uh, kind of persona my father had, Fortunately, since I didn't have it in any way, shape, or form, I never felt the need to uh, try to uh, imitate him and uh, be a, a prominent uh, personage, celebrity, as we'd call him today. But did you feel a new sense of, of pressure? Of um, course, because uh, before, uh, my f father was there, very strong personality, and uh, suddenly he wasn't there. There's no one you could uh, point the finger at. And a good prep for that was one, the Business Today experience in Princeton, where he had sleepless nights, he had uh, bills due and uh, other things. And then running the uh, board for international broadcasting, where we had very real forces trying to destroy you. Uh, many sleepless nights on that. So the position of being in a, in a position of responsibility where it rests with you, you can get advice, you can uh, reach out, get help. But ultimately, it's you. If it works, great. If not, uh, you, you take the fall for it. Well, listeners, speaking of taking the fall, after this short break, Maura gets me to open up about perhaps the riskiest venture I've ever taken on, running for president. But for now, this ex-presidential candidate would like to offer you his reads of the week. The first one is actually a headline. It comes from Kevin Williamson, NationalReview.com. The headline is History Called and Senator Burr Called His Broker. It's quite a devastating story about the behavior of some people on Capitol Hill. Another one comes from Margie Worrell, W-A-R-R-E-L-L on Forbes.com. The story's entitled When Fear Runs High, The Need for Courage Runs Higher. She talks about her husband being diagnosed with COVID-19 in Singapore. She also makes a very good point in this piece. Don't call this social distancing. She says call it physical distancing. She says we need to be more socially connected than ever before. Good piece. Very good for this time. A final one is entitled, How Trump Can Turn Economic Debacle to Miracle, the Gold Standard. It's written by Ralph Benko at Newsmax.com. That's B-E-N-K-O, Newsmax.com. It's the first of three-part series on the gold standard. Now, yes, people will say, oh, isn't that something, a relic of the past? No, it is not. It'll be our salvation in getting this economy running again in the years ahead. Good reading at a time when we need 
fresh thinking on how to pull this economy and get it back running full steam. And now, back to Maura's takeover interview, where we pick up on my campaign trail. You also have had sort of a, a lifelong passion around the political arena, but that really came into a new dimension when you decided to run for president. Talk a little bit about your thought process around taking that leap of faith, because it's something that is, you know, all-consuming, um, and it takes a toll and, and impacts everyone in your family as well. Walk us through the thought process on that decision. Well, first of all, uh, the interest in history, uh, history is people. I always had a curiosity. Why did some things work and why didn't they work? Why did we have the Great Depression? Why, why do we have the systems and the rules we have today? What led to it? On the political side, uh, in the early 90s, I, well, in the 80s, actually, I got close to uh, Jack Kemp. He was a congressman from uh, Buffalo, former uh, football player for the Buffalo Bills. Uh, but he went into politics, and he achieved a certain fame in the 70s by proposing what was then a radical idea of a 30% tax cut in income tax rates across the board. And he'd run for president in 88 and lost to Bush, but we all thought he was going to run in 96. And in uh, December of 1994, he called us in his office, and we thought, all right, the planning's going to start. Said he shocked us, said he's not running. So I looked around the field and uh, concluded that uh, there was not a Kemp-Reagan optimist pro-growth candidate out there. They were what we like to call root canal conservatives. So uh, others said, well, why don't you try it? And uh, maybe I got a, a, a gene from uh, my, your, your great-grandfather, my grandfather. When he came over here, uh, he was first a business reporter and then decided instead of writing about entrepreneurs, he'd become one himself and uh, started Forbes. So ultimately, I figured instead of complaining about the candidates, Go out and do it yourself. Absolute long shot, but entrepreneurs are always outliers. And uh, if you play by their rules, nothing's going to change. I, I remember we were um, on um, spring vacation in Naples, Florida, and that was the first time uh, that this conversation came up. Obviously, it was it was so exciting. Um, that was one way to look at it. <laughs> I mean, we had to laugh. We're like, Dad, President, what? Because um, you're a father. We love you. But um, but it's a little bit of a different perspective. Um, you never hear on the home front. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Oh, that's not true. Um, what was the hardest thing that you had to think through? Well, you had to uh, consider whether you're just setting yourself up to be a public fool and so you had to be very clear in your own mind why you would do something like this. So uh, when the stories first came out, oh, this guy is thinking of running for president, some people were curious. Others were sort of mocking, you know, what, <laughs> what happened to you? Uh, but you had to always remind yourself, why are you doing this? You, you mentioned you were nine years old at the time I did the first run. It's one thing when you're the candidate. You can strategize, you can fight back, you can deal with it. But for kids, it's hard. They are powerless. Oftentimes a spouse is powerless, give advice, but they're not out there. And uh, 
you take it to heart when they say your dad's a bum. Uh, you know, the, you, you you can't really fight back. Did that was that more difficult for you to watch than it was to respond or navigate when those things are said about you? Is that is it harder to yeah, see? Yeah, it, it it's it's harder for 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 the kids, as I say, and for you mom. can uh, for, and for your mother who like. Your grandmother uh, had no love of this life at all. You remember the interview with Larry oh, King. She did love parts of it. She loved being on the road. She loved being on the road. On the road, but not the events. Yeah. And uh, uh, she uh, remember the Larry King interview when uh, you kids were well. there, and uh, she was had her hands folded there. She agreed to do it, and there was a pool of sweat there by the time the interview was over. But so, she, loved, uh, she loved being on the ground. Um, nothing, but, nothing she loved more than the Iowa State Fairs. But, uh, but uh, again, uh, you're more in charge when you're the, the main actor than uh, those who uh, are, don't have the capacity to uh, put out a tweet or say uh, that you're, you're full of it or here's what's the truth. Was your confidence ever shaken? Of course it that? was. Uh, you... Uh, Getting ready for the announcement. Oh my God, that's what getting, I want to ask you about. Get, I... Getting getting uh, the the first debates, uh, their first public speeches. Uh, they you and that's one thing uh, you learn from entrepreneurs. You don't arrive fully formed. You learn, and when it's public, it can be very painful to learn it. But you only learn by doing it, by trying it. It's one thing to to say that that you only learn from trying, um, but it's another thing to when you're actually living it, not to take it so personally that it could cripple or paralyze you. Well, that's always a danger. And one of the things that happens from those who uh, study these things is they say even those who look like they're fully confident, like Steve Jobs and others, have those moments where, am I an idiot? Is this just a piece of crap that I'm uh, trying to pursue? And uh, so that... uh, yeah, it, it, it's not something, and 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 saying to yourself, "Well, I've got a higher purpose." No, you wonder, is this is this going to uh, collapse on you? You clearly developed a thick skin. You had a a higher purpose to to help motivate, but your political aspirations, at least in in, in terms of how they were initially conceived, in terms of running for president, president, were not successful. We never did live in Washington in a White House. Now you missed your opportunity for public housing. I yes. know. <laughs> there you go. Um, talk about that moment in 96 when you— Or 2000. Or 2000. You could, you could <laughs> choose which one that you took the stage to end your candidacy. Well, it's uh, similar to uh, giving a eulogy at your own funeral. It's a tough thing to do, but you hope you uh, do it uh, calmly with dignity, put the best face on it, and uh, then uh, thank people afterwards, those who had helped out, and then figure out what you might do next. And Did you uh, give yourself time to, to just wrap your head around it? Not really, um, because there's uh, sometimes a it's human nature. You always look back. If I'd done this differently, maybe it'd have been different. Then you have to bring yourself up short. If you'd done something that was different, maybe your opponents would have done something that was different. The environment may have changed. So you have to keep reminding yourself. And this is where uh, my father was a good lesson, not by what he said, but what he did. When you have a setback. Don't dwell on it. Move, move ahead. Move ahead. Don't let it poison you.
that's another thing you learn as a writer and in politics, that most of what you do really doesn't shake the world. What? <laughs> it's humbling. Uh, obviously, you you had done things in the political arena or the policy arena before running for office. But what surprised you most about yourself during those experiences and in terms of either how you responded, stretched yourself, or, or learned something about yourself as a leader that you didn't think about in the same way? Well, you uh, touched on it before, and that is you're, this is public. This is not inside a, a company or a, a house. And uh, you learn that, uh, as somebody said, how you appear is how people will judge the situation. The saying goes, if you don't look like you're in trouble, you're not in trouble. And always reminding yourself, you may think, boy, I did so badly on that. It sucked. Uh, I really screwed up. And there's a tendency, yeah, I really screwed up. Well, no, you have to figure out how you convey that uh, without uh, people thinking, well, this person has no confidence. You know, we, we, we believe in you. Why don't you believe in you? And you have to put learn to, to, to do that. I, I want to switch gears a little, obviously. You know, I am sitting here across the table from you as your daughter. How did your family and becoming a father influence how you saw the world and, and how you approached your work? Well, you uh, quickly realized uh, the world is not just you. You have other responsibilities. Like it or not, you have them. I think with most people, uh, suddenly realize the six-pound, five-pound thing in your hands, it doesn't come often with a manual. You know, what do you do at 2 a.m. with a certain thing? Uh, you're coping and uh, trying to uh, deal with that stress and realizing that the baby isn't, oh, I'm so grateful what you're doing for me. No, it's quite the opposite. They take it for granted. You have to remember you took it for granted, too, at one point. I'd be curious because I have two young boys, um, two and four, and, and most days I'm just trying to, you know, make sure everyone is alive and semi-fed. But you and mom were so intentional when you think about how you approached, um, you know, being a parent and what was important to you. What are the things that now thinking back were at the priority and at the forefront. Um, and how did that come to life? Well, you, uh, as your grandfather would say, uh, most kids survive their parents' best intentions. You, uh, you try to cope as best you can. Uh, school, as you know, was not easy for several of you. You do the best you can. And uh, unlike Hollywood movies, they don't always have Ah, the glorious ending, the closing. No, it's, a, it's not a closing. It's a continuum. And uh, it's the way life is. It's, uh, it's not, uh, oh, we do this and uh, voila, check, next. You know, we talked about um, what, what you've learned from various people a along the way growing up and, and in your career. What did you learn from mom? Uh, she is... Uh, be blunt about it, much more grounded than her husband. Uh, I can go wander off, and she's always looking, where are you going? Is this the best way to get there? Very, very practical. 
and uh, will have take more of skepticism to uh, whatever grand scheme. Doesn't mean she would be supportive if you make a great leap, but uh, she certainly wasn't going to be uh, bowled over by, uh, oh, what a grand idea. And uh, so uh, that kind of uh, putting things in perspective. You know, to me, when I think back of our childhood, you were, you had such a sense of adventure and fun, roller coasters, Hershey Park, Buxton's, Burger King, sort of the, these fun things, coupled with what's come across throughout this entire interview, this passion for history, um, whether it be learning the presidents, whether it be going to Burger King, which also our Burger King, what was done there, our Burger King, New Jersey? Uh, the, the, the old Burger King was built on a site of an old estate, uh, Freelingheisen. Uh, he was a senator, I think, in the 20s. On that site, in 1921, the U.S. officially ended its participation in World War I. The president came up to uh, Freelingheisen uh, with the resolution, and uh, the president signed it there, and I think it was on a Saturday, officially ending our participation in the greatest human catastrophe of modern times. And uh, what's there today? Burger King. <laughs> but what I love the Whoppers. Is, <laughs> the, the, what I love though is that you were always so intentional about sort of bringing history to life for us. It wasn't something that was learned in a book, um, but it was sort of infused in the day to day, and and sort of this lesson to sort of always look back to be able to help understand how you go forward. Well, Mark Twain, off quoted, but put it right. Uh, he said. History may not repeat itself, but it rhymes. <laughs> so as, as, as we, we wrap up, um, we talked about so many dimensions of who you are in business, politically, you know, as a father of five daughters. I'd be really curious if you were to describe yourself to someone who never met you before, how would you describe yourself? As the father of five great daughters. <laughs> um. A person of uh, curiosity about you and about the world in general. Well, uh, no, this was very special sitting down with us, Dad. I'm, I'm also grateful because you're someone who is this eternal optimist. Um, you're someone who always says to us, there's always tomorrow, there's always a different way, and who often looks back at history and, and your own life. When I was, I was talking to all of my sisters earlier about this interview and sort of just sharing all the different stories of you as a dad, the sense of adventure and fun and history and except insight. Me except memorizing presidents. Memorizing presidents. <laughs> I'm, I might have I might have cheated on that on that quiz um, literally, um, but uh, but I thought I was creative in the way that I did it. Um, but we're, we're <laughs> that's for your memoirs, not mine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but we're proud of you, Dad. We're grateful, and um, you and, know, and, and, and and vice versa. Until we meet again at the dinner table and have another <laughs> argument. Yes. But are you are you proud of us, Dad? <laughs> Absolutely. Unless you disagree with me. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Dad. Until thank you. Until next weekend, um, when we'll be at a very different table. You'll have uh, uh, a two and a four year old probably clamoring for some donuts and uh, and to watch a movie on your iPad with you. But uh, but we're grateful. I, I will you. indulge them, even though during Lent I give up all of that stuff. So uh, I'll be as happy as they are when Easter comes around. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, thank you, Dad. I appreciate thank you. sitting down. Thanks for listening to What's Ahead. I'm Steve Forbes. Looking forward to next week. And if you could rate, review, and subscribe to this show, we at Forbes sure would appreciate it. <laughs>